0: Hello and welcome to episode number three hundred and thirty-five of the Daily Knowledge Podcast from TodayIFoundOut.com. In the episode today, first of all, we're going to look at a very commonly used phrase in television and movies and where exactly it came from. Then there's going to be a word from one of our fantastic sponsors, Pro Flowers, and then we're going to have a bonus why article about why there are seven days in a week. So let's just get started with today's show. Have you ever wondered where the expression "I for one welcome our new" X overlords came from, well, want to know more. For those not familiar with this little expression, the basic idea is to substitute X with any perceived extremely powerful entity that it would be futile to resist. A classic example of this can be seen when Ken Jennings, after losing to IBM's Watson on Jeopardy in 2011, wrote underneath his final Jeopardy answer, I for one welcome our new computer overlords. While you'll often read that this was originally a line spoken by actress Joan Collins in the 1977 film Empire of the Ants, this is incorrect. Nowhere in this movie does any actor or actress say that line. As there were so many conflicting accounts of this from otherwise reputable sources, I confirmed it is not spoken in this movie by watching the whole amazing, awful, yet surprisingly unintentionally humorous horror film where a heavenly paradise becomes a hellish nightmare when a toxic spill turns harmless ants into gigantic, rampaging monster insects. The closest thing to this statement anyone says in the film is after Joan Collins' character, Marlene Freiser, a scammer trying to sell worthless swampland as a beach property front to prosperous clients, enters into an enclosed space with the Queen Ant. The Queen then sprays her with mind-controlling pheromones. When Freiser went into the chamber, she was screaming and trying to escape. When she stepped out, she looks back at the rest of her party, who were also seemingly about to be put into the chamber, and says, Don't you see? We mustn't disobey them. We must take care of them and we must help them." While the line, I for one welcome, was never spoken in the film, when the authors of this line came up with it, they were alluding to Empire of the Ants' plot of giant ants enslaving humanity to work in sugar factories. The first instance of this phrase can be found in the 1994 season 5 episode of The Simpsons – Deep Space Homer. In this episode, Homer is selected by NASA to be sent into space. While in the deep space shuttle, floating around trying to eat potato chips before they clog the instrument panels, Homer smashes into the ant colony on board, breaking the glass and releasing all the ants. When one of the floating ants gets too close to the camera, it makes it look extremely large, prompting Simpsons' Anchorman Kent Brockman to think it is a giant ant. Then he states the following, Ladies and gentlemen, uh, we lost the picture, but what we've seen speaks for itself. The Corvair spacecraft has apparently been taken over, conquered, if you will, by a master race of giant space ants. It's difficult to tell from this vantage point whether they will consume the captive Earthmen or merely enslave them. One thing is for certain, there is no stopping them. The ants will soon be here. And I, for one, welcome our new insect overlords. I'd like to remind them that as a trusted TV personality, I can be helpful in rounding up others to toil in their underground sugar caves. And now for today's bonus facts. The film *Empire of the Ants* is extremely loosely based on the 1905 H.G. Wells short story *The Empire of the Ants*, in which a new species of highly intelligent ants emerges in South America, multiplying and expanding their territory rapidly, killing any humans they come across. Bonus fact two: In an interview, Ken Jennings stated about the supercomputer Watson, "Watson has lots in common with a top-ranked human Jeopardy player. It's very smart, very fast, speaks in an uneven monotone." and has never known the touch of a woman. Bonus fact 3. Deep Space Homer is consistently ranked in the top 10 Simpsons episodes of all time. It was the only episode written by David Merkin, who was the executive producer of the show from 1993 to 1995 and was the man largely responsible for changing The Simpsons from slightly realistic plots to a surreal and zany pure comedy show with outlandish plotlines. Bonus Fact 4. Deep Space Homer is currently available for the viewing pleasure of astronauts on the International Space Station after astronaut Edward Liu asked if a copy could be sent up on a supply ship. So I've mentioned this a couple of times already this week. It's proflowers.com. If you haven't taken action on that now, Valentine's Day is coming up next week and time is ticking, you know. You can get 100 blooms of love with a glass vase for just $19.99. It really is a no-brainer decision. The flowers, they're guaranteed to last for seven days. 100 blooms of love. Just $19.99. That's a pretty amazing deal. And you can upgrade it. Just $9.99 more. Add some chocolates. Add a stuffed bear. Pretty amazing way to impress your woman and impress her friends. Be a hero. Go to proflowers.com. Click on the blue microphone in the top right. Enter the promo code DK. Those are the letters. DK for daily knowledge. proflowers.com. And you'll get... It's just an amazing deal, what are you going to do? Wait until like a couple of days before, buy some flowers that are probably going to last a couple of days? No, go to proflowers.com, click on the blue microphone, enter the promo code. DK, guarantee delivery on Valentine's Day. What are you going to do? You can't beat the price. You can't beat the convenience. It's an amazing deal. And yeah, uh, Valentine's Day is coming up fast. So get on that. This deal is only good until midnight on Friday. So if you're listening a bit later, I'm afraid you're too late. But if you are before midnight on Friday, you can take advantage of this amazing deal. So thank you to ProFlowers for sponsoring the show. Why we have a seven-day week. Two of the earliest known civilizations to use a seven-day week were the Babylonians and the Jews. The Babylonians marked time with lunar months and it is thought by many scholars that this is why they chose a seven-day week, though direct evidence of this being why they did this is scant. That being said, each lunar month was made up of several different cycles. On the first day, the first visible crescent appeared. On approximately the 7th, the waxing half-moon could be seen, on approximately the 14th, the full moon, on approximately the 21st, the waning half-moon, and on approximately the 28th, the last visible crescent. As you can see, each notable cycle is made up of about 7 days, hence the 7-day week. You'll notice I use the word approximate a lot there. This is because the moon phases don't line up perfectly with this schedule. As such, as far back as the 6th century BC, which incidentally is also around the time the Jews were captives in Babylon, the Babylonians would sometimes have three seven-day weeks followed by an eight- to nine-day week, presumably to resynchronize the start and end of the weeks to match the phases of the moon. In their normal seven-day week, the Babylonians held the seventh day of each week as holy, much like the Jews did and still do. However, the Babylonians also held the day to be unlucky. Thus, similar to the Jews, but for a different reason, the unluckiness of the day, the seventh day had restrictions on certain activities to avoid dire consequences from the inherent unluckiness of the day. The final seventh day of the month for Babylonians was a day of rest and worship. The ancient Romans, during the Republic, did not use a seven-day week, but rather went with eight days. One eighth day for every week was set aside as a shopping day when people would buy and sell things, particularly buying food supplies for the following week. Rather than labeling the days with actual names, at this time the Romans labeled them with letters, A to H. You might think from this that H was always the shopping day, but this isn't correct. You see, the calendar year did not divide evenly by eight. Thus, the day of the week that was the day to go shopping changed every year, but they still often referred to days based on its proximity to the shopping day. For reasons not entirely clear, within a century after the introduction of the Julian calendar in 46 BC, the eight-day week started to diminish in popularity in favor of the seven-day week. The full switch was not sudden, happening over centuries. For a time, as the seven-day week grew in popularity, both the seven- and eight-day weeks were used in Rome simultaneously. Finally, after the popularity of the eight-day week diminished almost completely, Constantine, the first Roman Emperor, made the seven-day week official in AD 321. Due to the influence of both Rome and Christianity, this has stuck in most regions of the world ever since. Bonus Fact For a very brief time in France and the USSR, the seven-day week was abandoned. The French abandoned the seven-day week in favor of a ten-day week beginning in 1793 thanks to the French Republican calendar developed in France at that time. This was abandoned nine years later, when the Roman Catholic Church was re-established in France. The official switch back to the seven-day week happened on April 18, 1802, Easter Sunday. Starting in 1929, the USSR abandoned the seven-day week in favor of at first a five-day week, then a six-day week. This was abandoned and the seven day week was re established in 1940. You just listened to an episode of the Today I Found Out daily podcast. Tune in every weekday for another great episode or find more articles at todayifoundout.com.